I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Mani Jahangiri, and welcome to Conversations with My Dog. I am the creator of Doga. Yoga for You and Your Dog, and this podcast aims to bring dog lovers together to discuss the impact they have on their lives. Today's guest is Pip Thompson, an English journalist and presenter who is currently a news correspondent for Good Morning Britain on ITV Breakfast. She is a two-time Royal Television Society winner and a huge dog lover, doing amazing work combating the Korean meat trade having two ex-new trait pups herself, Bindi and Robin. Hello, Pip. Hello there. How are you? Welcome on the show. Hi, Marnie. I'm good, thank you. I've got a dog snoring in the background here. Is that because he's been um, watching the election? <laughs> or uh, just yeah, snoring out of boredom? <laughs> Maybe he was watching Good Morning Britain and was bored of Piers talking. Who knows? I mean, they all seem a little bit similar, don't they? How are you feeling today, Pip? I heard you're very tired, so we're going to make this a bit more exciting today. <laughs> um, I am a bit tired, but I'm but I always perk up when I come home and see my lovely dogs. Exactly, this is what this show is all about. It really is about the dogs and and what they trigger in us, and you know what it is that keeps us wholesome at this very difficult time. I mean, we are in, you know, a lockdown. And again, it's like Groundhog Day. I call it Ground Dog Day. Forget the hog. <laughs> very Ground good, very good. Dog Day. And in the middle of an co- election in, in the US, and, and it seems like no one can make up their minds or everybody's suing each other. So it, it's a lot of, um, a lot of tension. Um, so, you know, first of all, I just wanted to ask you, have you ever done yoga before, Pip? Have you? Do you know about yoga or yoga? I've done a little bit of yoga before, and I had a tiny taster of doga with you yes. a few months ago, um, which was quite fascinating. Yes. I can't pretend I completely understood it, but uh, yeah, I believe there's something to it, definitely. That is wonderful. So we can just skip the whole conversation now because you just confirmed yoga is amazing. Now, um, we are going to do a tiny little meditation at the end, a little yoga breathing with music just to let you know. But before that, where do I start with you? I, 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 I don't know where to start because I found you, I heard about you through um, Humane Society International through Wendy Higgins and a lot of dog lovers spoke about you. And they kept saying, oh, you must speak to Pip Thompson. She mm-hmm. has two dogs 
rescue dogs from the dogmeat trade. And this is what I'm all about because I do International Dog Day each year on June 21st when Yulin starts. And I try to do a yoga doga campaign against violence. And everybody kept talking about you. And I was so, God, I was so in awe interviewing you on June 21st, uh, which, oh my God, was this year. I can't believe it was this year. It feels like it was last year. Everything's so confusing. It was this year, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Was it this yes, year? It I don't it know what day it is. Wow. So the first thing on Fermos, what is your background? Can you tell me a little bit? Are you, first of all, a journalist, reporter, or broadcaster journalist? What brought you into all of this? Yes. Well, I'm, a, I'm, I'm everything that you just said. Uh, I trained as a newspaper reporter when I was 18 years old. I left school and I uh, found I got a place on my local newspaper's training course. I didn't go to university. Uh, I started working when I was 18. And I always told myself as I, as I started on newspapers and then I went into broadcasting, into television, I always knew that as soon as I was in a position to be able to do so, I wanted to get a dog because I'd had dogs when I was a, a child growing up. And and when I was uh, at work, you know, on newspapers, on te- doing the TV, if ever there was a dog-related story, I would always be the one to do it because I, I just have a natural affinity for dogs. And, you know, some people go gooey over babies. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of lovely babies out there, but I'm definitely more of a puppy person. You just answered about five questions. This is amazing. Uh, just uh, anyway, yeah. Don't get me started with the babies. It's it's that's a big subject. But um, uh, yes. But I wanted to ask just to rewind. So where is home? Where where were you? Born? Were you born on a farm? Were you born in a well, city? I was born, born in York. Wow. I was born in York, but I was brought up in the West Midlands near Birmingham. That's where I went to school. My first job was in Wolverhampton in the black country and then I moved to Birmingham to work in television and then from Birmingham I went to live in the northeast of England in um, Newcastle upon Tyne and then I came to London and then I've worked in London for probably the past uh, eight years. Right how old were you when you arrived in London? If I, sorry, how I shouldn't ask about age, but I, I'm just, I'm trying to gather how oh, many years no. you spent. Personal questions. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, I was, when I started working in London, I was 34-ish. 34, 35. So I'm just trying to reflect, you had a long, uh, pr- pr- you know, progressing career away from London because yeah, I'm no, I, trained, I trained as a journalist it's ex- it's exactly 25 years ago that I started training as a, as a newspaper reporter incredible because I'm from Switzerland and uh, I came to London when I was 19 to study musical theatre and I left Switzerland wow. the, the country of gold and honey and chocolate and all this stuff yeah um yeah. Uh, you know and I just wanted to compare because you know, I was a I was a child when I came here. I was I was innocent. I had no idea of anything. You know, I I, I was straight thrown into a musical theatre course uh, with a lot of um, men that were trying to come out. And I mean, everything was so confusing, so large and so expansive. London was too big for me. You know, big shoes. You know, to step in as a little innocent Swiss little Heidi. You know, from Switzerland. So I just wanted to compare. So you already had quite a lot of 
experience before you came into London, you know, you were all set up and, you know, mature. Yeah, I was. I mean, I'd got a strong background in, in journalism and, and broadcasting, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And talking about strong, <laughs> I saw your interview with Pierce Morgan on the dog meat trade. You were ready to buy <laughs> his head. You were ready to buy his head off. Literally, the, the guy, I mean, I, you know, you look so kind of sweet and innocent. <laughs> And then suddenly you just jumped out of the seat and you went, right, do you understand what we're talking here? You you know, um, I was so shocked because everybody else, uh, you know, there's Anthony and they're all staying very subdued and politically correct. And you really literally leaped out of your high heels and and, and you were going to go for his throat. Is that correct? Or, or am I imagining this? Um, well, not literally, but I think if, you know, we've all got our, our passions, haven't we? And causes that, that we are particularly uh, vocal about and one of those things for me uh, ever since I can remember was about the dog meat trade you know I remember as a child reading about it but not being able to read about it because it would upset me so much and then the stars aligned you know a few years ago when I ended up getting my own little rescue dog from the dog meat trade which was you know best thing I ever did. And can you take us back to that time exactly? How did it happen? How did you get the chance to go to South Korea? Is this, is is Bindi, is she, um, are they, uh, Robin, part of the rescue team that uh, from South Korea? Is this connected or is that a different rescue? No, they were, they were all rescued by Humane Society International. But the order in which it happened was I read big newspaper feature special investigation and it was in the daily mirror and it was about the dog meat trade in south korea and i couldn't stop reading it and in the article it said that um humane society international had shut down this dog meat farm had given a farmer a grant to set up in another business which didn't involve animals and the hundred and something dogs that they'd rescued some of them were going to come to the UK to be rehomed and so immediately I thought right I really want to give a home to one of these dogs being very aware that you know I needed I knew they would need quite a bit of rehabilitation um, a lot of TLC but I'd already got two dogs at home so I knew that that would help Um, so I got in touch with the charity that was rehoming the dogs when they arrived in the UK, a, a charity called um, All Dogs Matter. Which is so funny. What a coincidence. We just interviewed um, Ira from All Dogs Matter. Ah, Ira, yes. 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 Well, Ira knows all about this. Yeah. Um, all Dogs Matter is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, they're involved in everything. I think Ira would rehome her own husband if she could like she would rehome anything <laughs> you know what I mean she is the rehoming lady that she never says no to anything so tell me so this is this is the moment right so you went did you go to all dogs matter to the office to collect or did you go well, to I the kennel with them and the dogs had been over here for a few days um yeah. already and I think some of them might have already been rehomed um and others I knew that were maybe you know a bit too big for me um but there was this little 
and there was this picture of her in the Daily Mirror, a big, big sort of, uh, a big picture of her in the Daily Mirror, not just a postage stamp. And she was a little white chihuahua cross, I guess you would call her. She definitely got chihuahua in her, got a little bit of spits in her. And I inquired about her and, and she was one of two or three dogs, I think, that hadn't been rehomed. And they said that they thought they might struggle to rehome her because people saw her and expected, you know, a little handbag dog. Bindi's many things, but she's not a handbag dog. And she's was very nervous. So I thought, right, she might be, you know, ideal for me. She's, she's a dog that I can really help. And if she's not going to get rehomed very quickly and going to end up in foster care, then I'm even more keen to, to, to give her a home because the last thing you want with any of these dogs that have had the most horrific existence anyway, the last thing you want is for them to come to the UK and be in a dog shelter for weeks on end. Absolutely, that um, will happen, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think she was struggling to cope in the kennels. So she was just being moved into foster care so I said, all right, I'll, I'll go and have a look at her. Uh, so I took my mum and I went to see uh, a wonderful lady called Sonia who was fostering her. And she answered the door to me and in her arms was Bindi, or Poppet as they had called her then. And she was just the most timid, sensitive little dog. I mean, you know, proper shaking. And there was another dog actually there as well that had been rescued uh, from the same farm that had also gone into foster care, but was a little bit more confident than Bindi. Um, anyway, she, I went into the house and I sat on the floor and all she would do was just keep running under the table. I mean, it was like she was almost feral, to be honest. Yes. Um, do you, know, do you know the background? Do you know the background? What happened exactly precisely to no, her? No, I mean... Absolutely no idea. Some of the dogs you know might have been pets because they'd still got their collars on. With Bindi, it was very unclear where she'd come from. The weird thing was, and one thing that I couldn't understand, is that they told me that the farmer had a pet dog that looked just like Bindi. But Bindi was viewed as a dog meat dog and this other dog was viewed as a pet because they make that sort of distinction. Uh, how, but how I don't know do much that? about that background. She was very young. She was probably about, I think she was about six or seven months old, maybe. Uh, and she's, you know, there wasn't, I don't mean to be too crude about it, but there wasn't much meat on her. But I was told that she would have been probably used for some sort of soup or a health drink that they have out there. A uh, health so, drink? Yeah, I know. Yeah, really? dog meat supposed to make. Yeah. I don't think yeah. we would sell um, that in Planet Organic, that's for sure. Jesus. No. Um, but anyway, so I, I just sat on the floor with this little dog and, and you know, bit by bit over the course of about two hours, she started to work her way a little bit closer towards me, but not much. Um, and I was with my mom and, you know, I knew pretty pretty much straight away that I was going to have her. And so I took her home that day and brought her home. And I'd got, then I'd got um, two Tibetan Terriers, both boys, BG and Billy. BG, God love him, I lost a couple of years ago. But um, yes, I had both of them. And I knew that um, 
they'd be absolutely fine with her. In fact, I took them with me. That's right, I took them with me. So they went in the garden with her, met on neutral territory, and I could see that there wouldn't be a problem. If anything, I could see that Bindi would be the boss dog. Is she uh, the boss dog? Is she the boss yeah. dog? Yeah, 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 yeah. Still She's is. Very dominant. So, yes. And, 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 and when would Robin then come? Robin's much later down the line, or...? Yeah, so Robin Robin came along um, about, ooh, yeah, over two years later, Robin came along. Yeah, so Bindi, I remember Bindi, I sat with her for about, I lay with her on the floor at my house in the living room for about three or four hours. And then eventually we had a breakthrough where she came up and snuggled in beside me. And then, you know, we just bonded. But, but it was a long process of her getting used to not so much household noises it was really anything related to people so I could put a new dress on and if she didn't recognize that dress she'd be terrified and she'd wet herself in fear wet now bearing herself. in mind I might have had her for three weeks yeah she'd wee she'd wee herself because she was so scared and it was almost even though I'd had her for a few weeks so she would recognise my voice by now. She would she would know the smell of me. She just completely, you know, couldn't cope with me wearing a, a dress she didn't recognise. So we had a lot of that, a lot of that. How was it with visitors or going out? I mean, to take her on a leash, uh, a lead. When was her first actual walk with you oh, in the I've outside world? Her. I started walking her straight away and because she was with my other two dogs that really really helped her that massively helped to learn to be a regular dog and she got used to walking on a lead very very quickly what she couldn't get used to was people coming near her so what people would view as aggression wasn't aggression with Bindi it was just terror particularly if it was men and particularly if it was men in the winter, say, with hats, scarves, gloves, where she couldn't see their faces, she'd be a quivering wreck. How interesting, because that's a common thing, isn't it? A common occurrence, men with, with hats. Uh, mm. Or maybe with coats, something that they can't quite see. So the facial features are important mm. to the dog, potentially. Uh, but how would but how other, did you other dogs? Other dogs you know, we'd go for walks and she's fine with them. I say fine, she can be quite dominant with them and she puts them in their place, but she's not scared of them. How did you deal with um, other dog owners? If she, would she, for example, would she bark really loudly? Would she bite? Would she attack? No, she wouldn't attack. She, she'd bark. And she, and, and sometimes even now, if she's, if she's walking on the lead, she'll, she'll still bark. But if she's off lead, because I trained her off lead pretty quickly because I always wanted her to be able to run off lead and be a regular dog. So I worked on, you know, the recall a lot. And off lead, she's a lot better. And she's ever so good. She comes back when she's called. She loves running in the hedgerows. She's quite a, she's a little hunter. She loves birds. I mean, she doesn't kill them, but she loves running after them. <laughs> um but yeah, she's she's because uh, I suppose off lead, she you know it's she can she can run, can't she? If if she gets nervous of, of something, whereas if she's on the lead, when people get too close, she feels a bit threatened. I understand, uh, you know, the lead culture—it's it's a nightmare, really, especially with rescues. I think it really doesn't work, and you have to be so subtle with the 
with the right lead and everything like mm. that. Usually I know straight away when a dog comes towards me, whether they're a rescue or not. And they're, they're usually off lead. People understand that a rescue needs to be off lead, not on the lead and certainly not around mm. the neck because it just creates more tension. And it is about the fight and flight, like you said, so they can run. So they feel safe enough to run mm. away. But um, have you had um, any certain scary moments where you think she maybe might just or has rushed off across the road or something like that? You lost her. Was there ever a scary moment? I had. A, I did have a scary moment. Uh, I'd been letting her off the lead probably only for a couple of weeks, and we were in some fields. And I looked around, and I couldn't see any sheep or cows or anything. So I let her off. And then blow me down. Two minutes later, what do I see out the corner of my eye but a herd of cows? And by the time I spotted them, she was gone. And I shouldn't laugh, because it, but it was hilarious. Because all you could <laughs> see, herd of cows crossing these fields with her in hot pursuit. <laughs> she was having a great time. I was oh, panicking uh, because I started to think, oh, my God, you know, she's, I'm going to lose her. Um, she's going to get hit by a car because she'll end up getting out on the roads and get lost. I was terrified. And I I went running over these, because she crossed about two or three fields with these cows. So by the time I caught up with her, I found the cows uh, who were, you know, uh, recovering because she'd, she'd, she'd given them quite a run for their money. Uh, so I found them, but I couldn't find, she wasn't there. So I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I, I went back uh, to where, where she'd, she'd run away from. And there she was in the distance, uh, trotting along, panting, almost smiling. And, I, and she looked at me as if to say, my God, that was fun. Oh, my goodness. If only you had a farm, she said. If only we could live in a farm. I know. Yeah. Had a great time. Obviously, the farmer wouldn't have been very happy. No, um, I know. And so anyway, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. in Wales, was it? It wasn't in Wales because they can shoot oh, them. You know no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not where I live. But um, ever since then, I've always been extra, extra careful about you know letting her off where I think cows or sheep might be. Um, but that's really the only the only scary moment that I've had. And you know, we've had the odd time where she'll she'll go in a hedgerow, and again, she's having such a good time, she doesn't want to come back. But she's got like a little bell thing on her collar, so I can always hear where she is. Yeah. Um, but she's very very good, and I think I think the one thing that I notice with her is that it's only the people that she trusts, that she absolutely trusts, who get to see her true character. So that would yeah. really be myself and my mum and dad mm. and my dog Walker. And they see her, you know, um, happy and relaxed and confident and she loves her cuddles. Whereas everybody else will sort of be a bit, oh gosh, she's a bit nervous, isn't she? And I'm not sure she'll ever completely lose that with people she but doesn't know. That's exactly what I wanted to ask. Do you believe a trauma can ever be unfold, you know, solved. It, like, you know, like I always believe that the trauma is so deep, you know, like with children, childhood trauma, you know, it never, it never really goes. It, it's always in the central nervous system. Do you yeah, believe dogs can completely, completely recover? 
with her, I think it'll always be there, whether that's partly because she's a small dog. So because she's small, she's naturally a bit intimidated by, you know, what to her and the, the giants people. Um, or it might be because, you know, what happened to her was particularly brutal because my other uh, dog meat trade survivor, Robin, yeah. he is a cocky little, I won't swear, but he's a cocky do, little lady. Well, he's a cocky little shit. Yes. And you wouldn't yes. think that he'd been on a on a dog meat farm and been through what he'd gone through. Oh, you must tell so, me about this. Yeah. Completely so, different. So what's the story oh, there? He's, he's he's a little horror. Um he's well, I think he was I think maybe he was freed from the farm a bit earlier than her, so maybe he was socialised a bit better. But from the minute I've had him, I mean, everybody falls in love with him because he is the cutest, most expressive little dog. Got such a personality on him. But his nickname is Thugface. Yes. So on his Instagram what? page, it's Robin, a.k.a. Thugface. Thugface. Um, oh. Thugface. Yeah. And he he's just naughty. And... He's confident with people. He's confident with other dogs. He tries to be... I mean, my brother has got a big uh, black Labrador crossed cross with a Border Collie. Big, powerful dog. And he tries to dominate him and stalk him. <laughs> and, you know, we've had moments where my brother's dog is very patient dog, but it got to a point where my brother's dog lost his patience and gave him a good telling off. And Robert was Robert was so taken aback that he pooed himself. <laughs> oh my god! So I thought, right, that'll sort him out. We won't have any more trouble after this. No, but no. Later, does the same thing again. Same thing again. Oh my goodness! Yeah, he's a very determined little dog. Do you know his background? He was dumped. Outside a farm with his his mum and litter mates, I believe. Gosh, yeah. In in Korea, South but, Korea. Yeah, in South Korea. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know much more than that. I just I think he was younger though when he was um, freed from the farm, younger than Bindi was. And I actually m met him when I went out to South Korea. Well, this is and exactly he, what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. That's that, that's the yeah. the part. The that second I to time I went out to South Korea, I met Robin. Tell me and about that trip. Tell me about that trip um, because you were there. Yeah. Well, it was just, the 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 first time I w went was after I'd rescued Bindi. I went about ten months after I rescued Bindi, and that was to do some filming for Good Morning Britain yes. and to do a piece about the dog meat trade um, because so many people don't actually know that that dog is eaten and in South Korea it is it is dying out you know less and less people are eating it um, younger people don't want to know but absolutely for older people you know it's it's they've, they've done it for decades been passed you know through the generations um, but but you know things are changing which is fantastic but I went out there to, to try and expose what was going on and, and do a um, special for the show. 
So the I mean, first how, time, how upsetting! Yeah, horrific. exactly. Yeah, it was horrific, and nothing really prepares you. It doesn't really matter how many pictures you see, or you know, you, you can talk to people. I talked to people from the charity who'd already been out there, but nothing really prepares you when you first set foot on that farm, and the smell hits you, and the noise hits you, and then you just walk around. And on this farm I went to, you know, there was 170, 80 dogs. And it was just cage after cage after cage of dogs in the most appalling conditions. You know, there was a dead puppy on the floor under one of the cages that, you know, just, just left like a piece of litter. It, there was there was dogs that, that in this country you'd see in the show ring at Crufts, like golden retrievers. Uh, there was a beagle, um, an Afghan hound, and you know what beautiful coats Afghan hounds have got. Yes. You know, these were all terribly matted and just awful, awful, awful. Uh, so, yeah, it was just it was just shocking. But the one thing is you know that that farm you're going to, all the dogs are getting rescued. Yes. So, you know, um, to go to a farm, which I know some of the rescue workers have to do. Sorry, that's Bindi in the background barking. Um <laughs> That, uh, some of the rescuers have to go to these farms and they have to walk away from some of them because the farmers might not, you know, want to sign them over or might and not how, want to work with them. And exactly. that's the I mean, how, how do you convince them? I mean, Wendy is part of the negotiation. Wendy Higgins, she does the negotiating, the negotiating part. Uh, no, she Wendy doesn't do the negotiation. The There's people on yeah. the ground, the charity out there who do the negotiation. And I've never been party to that. Um but yeah, it's um, you know it takes it takes some persuading, and and Absolutely. once the farmers make that decision and they do um, sign the farm over and they, they get a grant to start another business, you know they are they're so pleased they've done it, and I've heard stories about how the farmers will watch the the rescuers come in and get the dogs out, and it's the first time they've they've really witnessed this you know, this unique relationship that exists between man and dog. And they can't believe it because it's never been a relationship that they've had or thought about. Did you have a chance to speak to one of the farmers or observe them or their faces or their reaction yeah, to the yeah, seal? Yeah, 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 yeah. And how yeah, did you and... feel towards it? Did you feel compassion? You know, this must be a pinnacle moment between human your human heart for you know for dogs and then your heart for humans <laughs> which compassion. is what this show is about you know did i feel compassion compassion for the farmers um to start with no exactly uh i felt i felt a lot of i felt a lot of anger and it's very easy i think for anger to be the first thing that you feel because when you look around at the conditions that these dogs are kept in and you see the 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 vat full of restaurant waste that they're being given to eat. You see the fact that they don't even have a bowl of water to drink from. You know, you, you just think, my God, how can man treat any animal like this? So your initial thoughts is anger, but then you sit and reflect. And, and if they've made that decision to walk away from it, then then you start to have respect towards them. But are these poor um, people? I mean, they're not. You know, they, they. It's something that they've done for years, and they haven't known any different. 
and it brings us back to the argument of my god you know look at how we treat sheep hens chickens cows you know livestock in this country our farms a lot of our farms aren't anything to be proud of either are they exactly exactly so you know it's i think people have to think about that that it's all right to be horrified about dog meat farms you know in south korea or wherever but we should always remember that the farms in this country they're not great either absolutely and i was going to say how did you feel so when you had that interview again you went back you came back that pierce morgan interview was that straight after you came from the farm yeah were were the feelings still raw you know Uh, how did you feel about yeah and 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 how do you feel in that moment i mean this is what i'm saying i've done a lot of campaigning and when your feelings are so raw, you know, you, you stand, your voice is heard, you, you know, you're bigger, you're louder, you're, you're bolder. When, yeah, when you speak but you've got to remember that I'm going on there yeah. to talk about it. I'm not going on there as um, as a representative for the charity. I am going on there and talking about my experience of the dog meat farm and the dog meat exactly. trade. Yes, it's personal to me because I have dogs myself. But I'm not going on there as a campaigner for Humane Society International. I'm going on there as as an eyewitness, if you like. This is what I found. This is how it affected me. Exactly. exactly. So you know, it's quite. A, it's a you know, it's a line that I have to that I have to tread. And, and what was interesting was, you know, Piers um, Piers was very supportive of the of the whole thing. He wanted to talk about it. He wanted to do the debate on it. Um, and yeah, he was he was he was really fascinated by by what we saw and what we found and and helping to you know expose what goes on and, and to make people think. Absolutely, because they do say that he's a bit of a you know they, not a lot of people like to be interviewed by him because he's a bit he can be a bit how can I say cocky or arsy or <laughs> we can say anything on this show. So so I was just wondering how you felt. Did you feel? defeat I was wondering whether you felt defeat because it must be so raw coming from this experience then being interviewed and then they come with the debate of veganism and all this and again let, let's not start talking about veganism because it's a huge debate here huge huge I work yeah. for Planet Organic so I can talk forever uh, about vegan and non-vegan and all this it's it but he did have a point he did have a point when he po- brought that point for us there, there's a huge debate about this. I mean let me just make the point that, you know, Piers Morgan, everybody says, you know, he's he's Marmite, you love him or hate him. But I've known Piers for a few years now and he's a brilliant journalist and he is a really lovely guy and he'd hate me to probably say that, <laughs> but he is. Um, but he likes to create a debate and that's, that's a good thing. It makes people think. Um, and for me... Um, it did get quite heated and, and we could have, you know, sat there, sat there for ages. And, and I think Piers said to me, you know, are you a vegetarian? And I was, and I was honest. And I said, no, I haven't been a vegetarian, but since going out there and having this experience, it's really making me, you know, think about it. And ever since then, I don't, if I've eaten meat, maybe three times in the last three years, that's all I've done because I'm on a I'm on a journey with it you know and then people will say oh but you eat fish and it's like I'm on a journey you know I'm trying to do something 
<laughs> and you can no. debate a lot of things with meat. Yeah, a hundred percent. I like it. Yeah, you know. it really has opened. It has opened my eyes a lot, and I now, I think the way I look at it is is it's better to do something than nothing. And also for me, uh, dogs, you know, the, the, the relationship that man and dog has is a very, very unique one. It goes back thousands and thousands yeah. of years, about 30,000 years. They can find yeah. like the first, I don't know, someone, some guy from the Ice Age is almost buried with his dog alongside his dog. So this relationship has been going for a very long time, which doesn't mean it's of less value if you love your pig and you're going for a walk with your pig. And, and you know, Absolutely um, not. 100%. But, you know, we all need to cut down on meat. I mean, we all know that going to Sainsbury's, that meat isn't, it's not okay. Because, you know, I work for Planet Organic part-time. Actually, I'm an essential worker at the moment. And, uh, yes, I do buy chicken there sometimes. I'm perimenopausal. I need chicken. I buy some chicken, and it's a completely different chicken, you know, that I eat. It is a completely different experience. And I do feel bad putting a chicken in the oven because I look at the body, I look at Robbie. But um, somehow I just feel better that I bought something organic and I spend money on it. And I know that this is really well sourced, um, that, you know, they do check. Which is something, isn't it? Which is something. It is a a beginning. I'd like to think, you know, maybe in 10 years' time, I might be, you know, I might be vegan. I'm definitely taking steps towards it. 100%. 100%. Definitely. And I have the utmost respect for people who make that decision, you know, not to eat, not to eat meat or dairy, you know, totally 100%. 100%. It's very hard. Well, but, you know, it's like I got into a debate with friends in, in, in the pub the other night, you know, and the, and you get into the, well, you wear, you wear leather. How far do you take it? And How far do you fur. take it? You know, it's such a, yeah, I know. It's huge. It's huge. I bought myself a bag in Selfridges. Um, it's, it's, oh, I wish I could show you. It's, it's so bright. It's uh, like a neon, you know, yellow neon colored uh, handbag made out of plastic, recycled plastic. It was quite expensive, actually, the plastic. But it's so cool. And I feel so good about it because wow. it's all recycled. It's from Berlin. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I can't, uh, but it's all this new kind of hipster stuff that you can buy made out of plastic. You pay more. You pay more for uh, this kind of um, fashion. But, you know, why not? A little bit more, something exclusive, you know. You don't have to go to H&M. Yeah. You don't have to. You just recycle your clothes. Anyway, I never have a date anyway, so forget it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to buy anything. Uh, I don't even know where to. I Just very quickly before, I do need to tap on the Mr. Simon Cowell <laughs> thing, because obviously listeners will want to know, oh, my God, Simon Cowell. I mean, I met him. I met him on Britain's Got Talent. I was on the Palladium stage with Robbie doing uh, Doga and he came up to me first thing and the first thing he did was kiss Robbie not me he kissed Robbie he gave <laughs> Robbie a little kiss and I totally and he looked at me and he says what's your name and I said well I just told you during the audition actually my name and he went what's your name and I said Mahani and he went do you do yoga for a living at Doga and I said yeah this is what I'm doing I'm the founder and he goes does he do, do you do that with camels too do you, do you can you do can you do yoga with camels and I looked at him and I thought my god you know and he says how do you see this oh, act yeah. progress you know I don't know where or what planet he was on but he was all about the animals is 
is that right? Is, is he really, Absolutely. it seems like his yeah. heart Absolutely. is in the animals. He, because when, when, I, when I went out to South Korea the first time and uh, to do the filming for Good Morning Britain, I was having conversations with, with um, peers and with my producers and, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, what, what would be really good is if I got a well-known face on board to, to do an interview about the whole issue. Um, you know, somebody who was a well-known dog lover. And so I suddenly thought about Simon Cowell. Um, so I approached him and it was the easiest thing in the world to to um, get him to agree to an interview about dogs and about the whole issue because he completely got it. Uh, he's got, I think, four dogs. Yes, four dogs now himself. Um, it was hard to actually sort the date out when he, when he had time to actually sit down with me, but... Um, he 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 was he was on board straight away, and when I did interview him, and I interviewed him, I think about two days before I went to South Korea, um, and we sat down, and I showed him photos of the dogs on the farm that I was going out to, and it was photos of the dogs that were due to be rescued from that farm and were due to come to the UK. So I had these pictures to show him, and I and I said, Simon, you know, these are some of the dogs that that. Um, that will come here to, to, you know, get a new life. And he said, I can't look at them. I said, what do you mean you can't look at the pictures? He said, I can't look at them. He said, I will, he said, I will just break down. He said, I just can't do it. And he would not look at the pictures. He'd talk about it, but he could not look at the pictures because he just found it too upsetting. God, um, I wonder what would have happened if he you went know, to Simon the farm. Has, Imagine. Simon has been a fantastic voice and, um, you know, because he's well known here, he's well known in South Korea, people listen to him. And he made, you know, some very good points. And he said, you know, you've got to remember, you know, these dogs, these dogs would give their lives for you. That's the beautiful relationship that, that we have with dogs. They would give their lives for you. Look at what they can be trained to do. And yet they could end up and do end up in people's stomachs. You know, how does that... And he just puts it into such... Like, he's so blunt about it. But my goodness, it, it makes people think. And when I went out to South Korea, we were in um, a shopping centre in South Korea. And they recognised... People, people came up to some of the people from Humane Society International. And um, they said because they've got T-shirts on, you know, and branding, so they recognise them, and, and said, oh, gosh, you know, um, Simon Cowell, he's he's a big supporter of your charity, isn't he? And so the story of of Simon Cowell doing an interview for us, Simon Cowell then donating £25,000 to help shut a dog meat farm, you know, that made headlines around the world. It's and people incredible. Are in so it's a massive boost for the it's whole campaign. Huge. Yeah. Everyone spoke about it that day when that interview came out. Yeah. Everybody, oh my God, Simon Cowell just giving money. Like, you know, I said I, I tried to contact him so many times. To, uh, his his um, his PA and I was like, can he get involved in this and International Doga Day? I maybe join the Doga, which he did on Britain's Got Talent. You know, do a little Doga, and it, and it was always I never heard anything back. And then I thought, but he must feel something. And then I saw this, and I was like, yes, yes. He did it. He did it. I'm so glad. And I think they yeah, had a dog. It was, it was wonderful. And and so and they had a dog on. Profile. 
Yeah, absolutely. And there was a dog on on the last Britain's Got Talent that was from a dog meat farm as well. So he is continuous, continuing the uh, his legacy being, in a way, yeah, an ambassador for it. Miracle. He was rescued from the miracle. meat trade in China. It's incredible. I'm, there's so many things to do. And I was going to say, like, would you ever turn away from from can I say campaigning? Are you campaigning or um, what's what's your story with this dog? Will this be forever for you? Is there a day where you will stop uh, um, talking about it? Oh, or? gosh, no. I mean, I'll always no. I mean, I, I can imagine in the future I'll adopt more rescue dogs from the, from the dog meat trade, I'm sure. Um, you know, my, my, I think my one ambition in life would be to, I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, set up a charity related to it. I'd love to have, this is like my dream is to have a, a, a small holding and to, you know, when the dogs arrive here, I'd love them to come to me and for me and a team to, to rehabilitate them and get them rehomed. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to do more, but I'm not in a position to do all that at the moment. So I just do what I can. Exactly. And, you know, I was just hey, wondering. You know, I've, I've, you know, adopted two myself, and I've given them a new life, and I tell their story whenever I can, because um, they're now, you know, great little ambassadors for the dog meat trade, and you know, they've enriched Bindi and Robin. Have enriched my life so much because when I see them so happy, running off lead, and I think about what their lives could have been or could not have been because they'd have been slaughtered. Um, it just makes me so happy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. We all know how a Christmas carol begins, but you've never heard it like this. Marley was dead to begin with dead as a fucking doornail now I don't know why a doornail they've never had any life to begin with but bottom line Marley is dead A Christmas Carol The Rude Retelling read by Brian Harvey brand new podcast out now 
Find it wherever you found this podcast or go to podfollow.com slash Scrooge. Bah fucking humbug. It is incredible. It's just incredible. Leading on to this, and this is the the, 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 the part where I, I, I have some personal questions, but it's also, I'm going to share it with you too, um, my personal opinion and <laughs> experiences with Robbie. But dating, dating, how, is there a man on this planet who will be able to sh- share himself or share the do- your love with your dogs that allows the love for your dogs to come first before him. Do you understand what I mean? Like, I find that, um, I mean, I'm, you, you know, you don't have to answer your person. What I'm saying is I find it really hard to date. I find it really hard to date because men have a problem with Robbie. Um, Robbie's in my life. He's he's the only thing I have, especially during lockdown. My God, it was 24-7. We just have each other. And uh, Robbie's very protective over me. And um, he is quite jealous. And um, I've noticed that most guys have an issue that Robbie sleeps in my bed. And it's not like I've got loads of guys in my bed, by the way. Just it's once a year. <laughs> you know, just to let you know. Don't like it, you don't explain to me, Marnie. It's, no, but the worst part is, is that he starts to dominate the guy as well. So, so <laughs> if I have romantic <laughs> moments... Robbie starts getting involved as well. And it's, maybe, it's just maybe terrible. Robbie knows that he's not the right guy for you. That's what I'm wondering. Maybe Robbie's got a sixth sense. Well, do you think they have it? And how is it? I mean, may I ask, has there been somebody or is there somebody or will there be? Or have you been in a situation where there was an entity of a, 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 a male uh, and there's an issue yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really private when it when it comes okay. to my personal life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't worry. Hypothetically speaking, um, you know, my motto has always been, "Love me, love my dog," and that's that's would be the same when it comes to relationships and friendships. You know, to me, it's just it's it's not even a conversation. So if I, you know, if I had a friend who suddenly didn't like my dogs and made it clear the dogs were a problem to them, I don't think we'd be friends for very long just the same as, you know, as if it was, um, if I was in a relationship and the dogs became an issue, I'd be like, see ya. But, you know, luckily in my life so far, my closest friends and, and relationships, um, yeah, they've always, they, they like my dogs. Yes. And, and, and you know, be in my life. absolutely. But do you think it's a bad thing that the dog sleeps in your bed? Do you think that's a terrible thing? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I can't get Robbie on the floor. He, he um, won't. No, I mean, God, no, it's not a terrible thing. It's uh, it, Sometimes it becomes a bit of an issue when, when you end up having no bit of the bed. I mean, you know, if I let my three <laughs> dogs off, I end up having a postage stamp to lie on. So that becomes a bit of an issue. Um, and sometimes, oh. particularly with um, Robin, my thug face, my real cocky little thing. He uh, he is very. He wants me to himself, so he can sometimes try and be a bit dominant with the other two if they want to get on the bed and he's already there. So in terms of sort of discipline, I tend to not let him on my bed because I have to be consistent. I have to be quite strict. 
and that applies. And actually, I have the same issue with the sofa. So him and my other male dog. See, it's the boys, Marnie. It's not the girls. It's not windy. <laughs> exactly. but they, um, they get, they just get jealous of each other, and it's like their their love for me or whatever or attachment to me is is you know very very intense, and so they both want to be on me. Um, so I have to sort of manage that, and and in order to manage that, I have to be quite strict about dogs on beds. Could you imagine bringing your three dogs to a yoga class then with a yoga mat? No, what would happen? It would be carnage. All three. It would be carnage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with other dogs as well. What do you think would yeah, happen? Yeah, it would be carnage. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, one of them, maybe, but, um, yeah. Would you, would you bring Billy? About that. Would you bring um, Billy? Or... Billy is probably, but yeah, I mean, Billy is brilliant, my Tibetan terrier. Um, he's but he's nearly twelve now, but he oh. is a teddy bear, and he's very he's just a very calm, placid dog. And I know you know they say you can never trust a dog with children, but he's he I would trust ninety nine point nine percent with kids because he just he just lives to be cuddled. And he's he's just a, he's just a beautiful boy. So I could definitely do yoga with him. I could probably absolutely. do it with Robin actually as well. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think I think with Bindi, it would just be. See, the way I would do it is I would probably visit your space where Bindi is most comfortable and work within the pack uh, with the yoga first, yeah. uh, not introduce her. Bindi to a, an unfamiliar space but what you know you always have to there's always a, a, a free fall for everything you know um, like any yoga class you know you don't know about it you don't know what's going to happen and then it works out at the end I had a lot of rescue dogs in my yoga class in my face-to-face not online I do online but um, face-to-face yoga class and actually most rescue dogs just hide they hide behind the odor or they they lie oh. near the door and they look at the exit but you know it's quite sad because they never quite, they can relax, but only at the end, right at the end. Yeah. They always have to guard either if there's a window, they'll check what's going on outside. Or if there's a door, they'll be as close to the door as possible. And they can't yeah. really Billy enjoy would, themselves. Billy wouldn't, do that. Billy wouldn't do that. Billy would, Billy would love it. Oh <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. As long as he's, I mean, the- as long as he's getting fussed, Billy would, would throw himself right into it. Absolutely. And the whole idea is, is that it's their class. So basically there's a human class, there's a human yoga, we're on the mats, but we're not necessarily interacting with them. In fact, we ignore them first. So, so we allow the human connection and then the dog works him herself around the energy of the uh, humans when they become quieter still, you know, with the breathing, which is what we're going to do, um, the breathing and the heart rate. And and usually, you know, mm. I, I always say a, um, a happy dog, sorry to say a happy dog, but a happy dog, a confident dog is the dog that goes from yoga mat to yoga mat and shares himself with other people who can actually move and doesn't have to hog the mat of the owner, which is so interesting. If they stay stuck, with the owner throughout the whole class there's actually an attachment issue with the owner the owner is too emotionally involved with the dog so it's very interesting to see yeah it's fascinating i love the ones that are just letting them 
off lead and they kind of just follow me and they do the breathing and the stretching and everything and they they giggle and they look and the dog is pretty much finds his way and her way around people and then eventually they settle on a mat and they get a belly rub and and fall asleep and that's it that's basically doga people always say do dogs have to do yoga no no yoga is for humans we imitate animal poses the dog is the sponge the dog is more relaxed afterwards 100 percent. the best thing is especially with rescues is that their central nervous system can regulate because the owner is in a neutral space where their central nervous system is regulated because you must understand when uh, when, it, when an animal has trauma just like children have trauma they are completely attached to you for every sign for every smell it for everything there's no separation you, they're just one with you that's with any dog or any child two-year-old toddler it's the same thing there's no separation you you are their entity yeah, they, they don't know who they are, right? They don't know, I am a dog and I can do things myself. No. So they're, you, you know, so what I'm saying is if you can influence, if you can calm down, they, their central nervous system vibrates, that correlates with their central nervous system. I mean, I still have to prove it medically. I want to get in touch with um, doctors and universities that can potentially I don't know, monitor this process in Doga, but I truly believe you can give a, a quality life to your rescue dog through Doga, that to have that quite regularly as a, um, not a training, uh, a, rehab, a part of the rehabilitation for yourself and the dog. So there's less attachment in a yoga class. You focus on yourself, the dog can be around you and there's other dogs. So you're learning that little part of letting go. Yoga is letting go um, and, and focusing inwards. Yeah, so I can go on forever, but it's, I really believe that doga is for rescue dogs, most importantly for rescue dogs and people with mental health issues as well. It goes, it goes both ways. So yeah, I hope that so doga will prevail. I imagine if, or I would have thought that if you're doing yoga, and you're being, you know, it's it's calming you, and you're being mindful, and all this. If your if your bond with your dog is really strong, then surely that would rub off on your dog because dogs are so sensitive. They know when you're low, when you're sad, when you're happy, when you're nervous. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I mean, when I do my yoga at home, my self practice. Robbie he just sits on the bed and snores, but he knows exactly when I go into relaxation, Shavasana. He hears my breath slowing down, and he also knows when the session is over. What How does he, he do? know that? He gets up, he comes to me, licks my face, and wants to go for a walk. It says, right, well done. Good practice today. <laughs> Let's go. How does he? It's incredible. Yeah. He's the yoga dog. You know, he doesn't do the yoga too much. I mean, he, he's in my arms, very relaxed. I, I got him as a rescue and I didn't know he was so relaxed. I don't know how he became that relaxed. I didn't make him that relaxed. He was always this relaxed um, in my arms. Uh, he's a bit more nervous now as an eight-year-old. It's very different now in class. He's very dominant. He mm. dominates the class, tells the puppy off, tells all, <laughs> the, <laughs> all the dogs that have fun in the class. He goes, Rawr! 
and he sits between them. He goes, you got to listen. you got to listen to mom. It's her class. you got to listen. You know, uh, he doesn't relax that much anymore uh, in a group class because obviously it's his class. It's his class. He needs to control the class for me. That's <laughs> so cute. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's so much and, and, and something that people don't understand yet. And I would like to explore in Doga is uh, the, the mental health aspects in humans. Um, in fact, um, I believe it releases um, oxytocin. It's just like mummy and baby yoga. Something happens in the brain to the uh, owners um, when doing yoga and having a dog around. So it could be really, really powerful stuff for mm. for a part of a program, you know, maybe rehab, who knows, um, even in, you know, maybe psychiatric private clinics yeah. and things like that, that, that becomes a not just a pet therapy, a human uh, canine therapy, which goes both ways. And hopefully... Well, dogs, I, you know, dogs are great for your mental health. 100%. They keep me sane, or as sane as I'll ever be. To end the podcast, it's time to take a moment aside with your dog for some guided doga. Robbie and I will guide you each step of the way. Just listen to my voice. So we have our dogs and our laps very slowly. And what we're going to do now is just focus on breathing in and out through the nose. So we can just focus on maybe massaging the dog slightly behind the ears as we're breathing in and out through both nostrils and if you can hear my voice i'm slightly contracting the muscles behind the back of the throat so around the glottis there's a slight contraction so when you inhale you sound like darth vader breathing so the slow we call it ujjayi breathing slowly inhaling and then slowly exhaling and the bigger the sound is the more breath you're taking into your lungs so you might find that your intercostal muscles between the ribs expand. So let your muscles expand and let your belly expand. And if your dog is there, place your dog on the belly so you can feel your belly expanding. And exhale. Now, we're going to close our right nostril. We're going to take our right thumb and close our right nostril off. So we just close one nose and uh, slightly blocked today on the left side. So slowly inhaling through the left nostril. 
and exhaling out through the left nostril. Inhaling through the left nostril. Exhaling through the left nostril, just the left nostril. Notice your mind becomes still. Five more. Expanding your navel. And as we come to the final one, inhaling. You're going to close your left nostril and exhale through the right nostril. You can hear my sinuses. And then switch. Close your right nostril, inhale through your left. Exhale through the right. This is my nostril, isn't it? Not the dog's. That's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh no! Yes, yours. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That is so funny. Imagine doing that. That is an old joke. Yeah, heavy breathing. One more. And exhale. And now just release and breathe through both nostrils. Feel a bit lighter. It doesn't matter if the dog is there or not. But, um... Oh, the plumber's arrived. The plumber's <laughs> arrived. On that note, the plumber's arrived. No, the plumber's just arrived because my central heat is not working. Jesus Christ, you see what happens when you do this left nostril breathing? Let me just open the door. Hi. Yes, I know. Jesus, is this happening on a show? <laughs> well, Pip, what can I say? What can I say? The actual plumber, they're going to give me hot water. You see what happens with yoga. So what we're going to do, I'm going to let him in, but we do have to finish. Hi, are you coming to class? Oh, fantastic. 
I'm on a, on a, I'm doing a podcast. Uh, just one second. And so what we're going to do now, so, this is hilarious. Uh, great entertainment. Yeah, um, what we're going to do is just, doga. so who wants to do doga? Let's see if the plumber wants to do some doga. Well, I'm sure he will. <laughs> um, what we're going to do is just one last one. We're just going to finish with Om, our little Om for our dogs. So we're just going to take a deep breath. You just follow my lead, my voice, and I hope he doesn't interrupt my Oming. So taking a deep breath, inhale. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. And on that note, Pip Thompson, thank you so much. I wish you so much luck with your venture, with everything, you. with your love for dogs, with your heart, you. with your compassion, with everything. Thank you so much thank for you. giving your time. I would, I would, you know, I would be lost without my dogs. They do as yeah. much for me as, as I've done for them. So we're a great team. You are. You are. You will prevail. We all will prevail. The dog should run parliament. That's what I think. That's <laughs> the next step, you know, really, honestly. Um, it's, no, really, wishing you all the best. And I, especially with your big venture about opening this um, fostering rehab yeah, center, you know, it'll manifest. It'll manifest. Just chant or it'll happen. Oh, thank you, Marnie. It's been lovely talking thank to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Pip. Thanks for listening to Conversations with My Dog. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It helps others to find us. And talking of spreading the news please tell another person about the podcast and help us reach more people and dogs. We'll be back with another episode, same time, same place, next week. Namapaw. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.